everybody. Welcome to the show. If you're new, I'm excited to have you here. If you're coming back uh, again, thank you. I appreciate it. I'm glad you guys are, are enjoying the show. Today is one of those episodes where, as I was learning and doing my research, I actually ended up coming up with more questions than I had answers. And that's how life is sometimes. I think it's kind of cool. Every now and then you get in a situation and you leave it with more questions than you anticipated. And I think sometimes that's cool because it can create like a snowball effect um, for you in learning new things. You might leave from it and end up going and looking up a bunch of stuff that's adjacent to the topic that you originally started learning about. Or you might uh, want to really drill down on specifics of something. And it, it gives you things to think about from like maybe a philosophical sense or or you might want to look into new theories of something, whatever it may be. I just think it's kind of cool when every now and then that happens. So I just think it mirrors life in a way and it's just kind of cool. But this is definitely one of those type of episodes. So let's go ahead and get into it. Our story starts today in the spring of 1900 when Captain Demetrios Kantos and a crew of sponge divers from Simi Island in Greece discovered the Antikythera shipwreck and recovered artifacts during the first expedition of the Hellenic Royal Navy. Now, the Hellenic Royal Navy existed during periods of monarchy in Greek history. Nowadays, because Greece doesn't operate under a monarchy, it's just known as the Hellenic Navy. Now, something that I, I never considered before about shipwrecks is the fact that when you discover a shipwreck, you don't just automatically recover everything from the shipwreck in like a week. It takes a long time. You have to consider the structural integrity of the shipwreck itself. A lot of times you don't know how long it's been underwater for immediately. You don't know where uh, or what it's made out of because you don't know what time period it came from. You're not 100% sure on what, uh, what elements of the ship may be dangerous. And, uh, you know, you don't want to put people down there to start recovering artifacts and find out this shipwreck is very unstable and very unsafe. So it ends up taking a long time. And I also really never thought about it. But a lot of times these shipwrecks get discovered. And then for years later, they're uh, repeatedly explored by scientists and, and explorers and people who are, you know, for whatever reason, they, they are interested in the shipwreck. There's a lot of different reasons, a lot of different groups of people could be interested in a shipwreck. But either way, um, it's not something that that necessarily is a, a quick process to explore a shipwreck. And so it's interesting because in this particular instance, the shipwreck was discovered in 1900, but it wasn't until 1901 that the namesake for this episode was recovered from the wreckage. You see, I recently learned about the Antikythera mechanism, and that was one of the artifacts that artifacts, look at that, I mispronounce things every now and then, right? Look at that. It's been a long week. Anyway, it's, uh, it's one of the artifacts that was uh, recovered from that shipwreck in 1901. And so a full year later is when they actually ended up finding the Antikythera mechanism, which I just think is an interesting fact. But like I said, every time that I learned something for this episode, it led to more questions. And I think you're probably going to end up in that same boat as we go through this episode, no pun intended. And I think you really will leave with a lot of questions. And I, I think that's kind of cool. So in this episode, what I'm going to try to do is I'm going to go ahead and answer three of the questions that I had that I think are more broad, general questions. And those will help explain the Antikythera mechanism as best I can. 
And the first of those three questions is, what is it? The Antikythera mechanism is a device that was discovered inside the remains of a wooden box that was recovered from the shipwreck. The wooden box is roughly the size of a shoebox to give you an idea of the size of the mechanism itself. It was described in a paper as being discovered in a form that was essentially one giant lump and was subsequently divided into three main fragments, which have since been separated into 82 separate fragments through conservation efforts. Now, four of these fragments contain gears, and you can find inscriptions on a lot of the other 78 fragments. To give you an idea of the scale of this thing, the largest gear is 5.1 inches in diameter, and it originally had 223 teeth. All right, now it's, now it's truth time for a second. I'm going to be honest with you guys. When I was doing the reaches for this episode, I was imagining the 5.1 inches in diameter as circumference because I was swapping circumference and diameter in my head. That's probably because I haven't been to a fourth grade math class recently. <laughs> the difference between circumference and diameter hasn't really come up a whole lot in my uh, adult life. It's not like I ever went to a job interview and they were like, all right, Nick, we're going to go ahead and start with a, a few basic questions. Can you tell us about a time where you were in a situation, we had to work with someone who didn't know the difference between circumference and diameter? What did, how, did, how did you handle that? What did you tell them like it's not it's just not coming it's just not coming up in my daily life like I'm being honest with you like I I know like look I coach high school basketball some of the kids I coach are going to hear this I, I get it like I'll probably get you know in trouble for this at some point but like you're not using that in your daily life I'm sorry there are certain professions where you will and they're going to make it very abundantly clear to you that you need to know the difference between uh, some of these things but I'll be honest with you I'm not using circumference and diameter all the time so you know, every now and then you get them, you get them confused. I don't think that's crazy. And because I know that's the case, I know there's also some of you listening to this right now who are thinking to yourself, fuck, am I as dumb as Nick? And because of that, let's go ahead and get on the same page real quick. When I say 5.1 inches in diameter, I mean the gear itself is 5.1 inches across the face of it. So the gear, um, it's, it's not, as I learned, 5.1 inches around. That is circumference, right? Circumference is the girth, if you get what I'm saying. So across the face of it, 5.1 inches is what we're talking about. So I say all this to say it's not necessarily a, uh, a large piece of machinery. It's pretty small, to be honest. And the fact that that small of a gear has 223 teeth speaks to how precise the device is. Now, before we move on to the to the next part, I want to mention that if you're driving or operating heavy machinery right now, do not do what I'm about to say. But if you aren't going to put yourself in danger, I highly recommend that you take a second to just go to Google and type in Antikythera mechanism, hit images, and then look at both the actual mechanism itself, the photos of the, the uh, artifact itself and then also the recreations i think the recreations of it are really interesting there's a ton of scientific work that's gone into uh these recreations and i'm not going to go into that in this episode but it's it's fascinating and either way i do think it's important for you to go look up the uh the images there so obviously i'm going to go ahead and uh, i'll throw them on the thumbnail of this video and stuff like that so if you're watching the video you'll see it but 
my point being, if you're not, if you're just listening to this in your car or something like that, wait till you park. If you're listening to it just while you're working or you're at your office or something, uh, just pop on over to Google real quick because I do think it's good to have a, a picture of this thing in your mind as we go forward. Uh, but anyway, if you're driving right now, I mean, some of you horny savages are out here swiping Tinder anyway. So like who, I mean, you're, you're probably going to risk it. But I'm saying to you, legally speaking, please do not put yourself in harm's way uh, to see a picture of this thing. When you get to your destination, look it up. But uh, I, for those of you who are not able to look it up right now, what I will do is I will go ahead and give you a, uh, a one-sentence description of one recreation that I saw uh, from 2007. So I want you to imagine a wooden uh, shoebox, and it's covered in, uh, in uh, inscriptions, but it's standing up vertically. And basically, it's full of a series of interconnecting gears on the inside. And then basically, there's what looks like some handles protruding uh, out of it on the outside. So that's the Antikythera theorem mechanism. And now that you know what it is and sort of what it looks like, the next logical question to ask is, what does it do? Well, that's where things start to really get interesting. For the answer to that question, we turn to The Guardian and an article written by Ph.D. Ian Sample. He writes, quote, In 2008, a team led by Mike Edmonds and Tony Freeth at Cardiff University used modern computer X-ray tomography and high-resolution surface scanning to, uh, to image inside fragments of the crust-encased mechanism and read the faintest inscriptions that once covered the outer casing of the machine. This suggests that it had 37 meshing bronze gears, enabling it to follow the movements of the moon and the sun through the zodiac, to predict eclipses, and to model the irregular orbit of the moon, where the moon's velocity is higher in its perigee than in its apogee. This motion was studied in the 2nd century BC by astronomer Hipparchus, Hipparchus, we're going to go with Hipparchus, Hipparchus of Rhodes, and it is speculated that he may have been consulted in the machine's construction. Now, what I also read, in fairness, is that the concept of the mechanism could have potentially originated in Sicily. So all I have to say to that is it's like, hey, look at us. We might have done it. You know what I'm saying? It could have been us. This is what they're telling me. You know, I read this. This is real. This is what they're telling me. So it could have been us. You know what I'm saying? So wherever my Sicilians are at, just, hey, you know, it could have been us. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. But I, I digress. I, I also learned that the motions of the planets are mentioned on the back door of the mechanism. And it's like, of course they are. Right. Because what the back door of the mechanism has been described as, as I learned uh, later on through my research, is the instruction manual. So basically, they wrote the instruction manual for this thing on the back door of it. And I mean, come on, here's the here's this is a device that is able to track the movements of our solar system. And the instruction manual fits on the back door of this thing. Meanwhile, today, when you buy a TV stand, the instructions come on a piece of paper whose size you've never seen before. You've never encountered the size of those instructions on any paper you've ever seen in your life. And for some reason, it's been folded with a ratio of 
55 hot dog style folds for every one hamburger style fold. And so you unravel this mess that has every language in the world is written on it, which is kind of cool. That's, that's a nice thing. But still, every possible language of how to build the TV stand is included on this weird piece of paper uh, that you, you can't account for. You've never seen paper like that. And those are instructions for a TV stand, not a solar clock that contains the understanding of the movements of the solar system more than every single human I've ever met. There is not a human I have personally interacted with in my life that understands the movements of the solar system as well as this uh, clock that they were somehow able to create and put the instructions to on the back door of it. So really, really think about what we're talking about here. Uh, this, is a, this is a fascinating device just on that alone, in my opinion. But wait, trust me, we just wait because it gets, it gets crazier. Now, that, that's also, and I did want to say this, that's not to mention that they also threw this thing on a boat and just headed out to sea. They didn't bubble wrap it in some conspiratorial large amount of bubble wrap. And I say conspiratorially large because sometimes you get packages and it's like, where the hell is all this bubble? Why? Like, where is it coming from? Why are they doing this? It's like they're in cahoots with the bubble wrap industry and just buying it up and making those people rich for some reason. It's insane. It's like, why do we have so much of this non-biodegradable plastic and everything that is shipped everywhere? That definitely doesn't need it. Like, I really don't think when you order your AirPods and they already come in a plastic container that you, they need to be wrapped in bubble wrap or whatever. And maybe, oh, and Apple, you know, maybe I'm wrong. I'm sorry, Apple, if I'm wrong and you're not bubble wrapping everything. But I think you guys get the point. Anyway, this is, this is I'm enjoying this episode, as you guys can tell. But Regardless, the point here is that the Antikythera theorem mechanism is widely considered to be the first known analog computer. And that's right. It's a computer. Now, look, analog computers are not MacBooks, right? These are not digital computers, and there is a difference. But with that being said, I do think it's important to point out uh, some, some examples of analog computers throughout history so you can see what they're used for to understand how important these things are. From 1881 to 1892, William Farrell worked uh, to ultimately create a tide-predicting mechanical analog computer. That's in the 1800s. In 1912, the Russian Navy used an electrically driven analog computer for the fire control systems on some of their weapons. And during World War II, bomb sites used mechanical analog computers. So those are just some of the examples of how powerful and significant analog computers have been throughout history. But here's the crazy part. Not only is the Antikythera mechanism believed to be the first ever analog computer, but, uh, quote, devices of a level of complexity comparable to that of the Antikythera mechanism would not reappear until a thousand years after it existed. And that leads us to the final question that we have to ask today, which is, how old is this thing? Remember, the shipwreck was discovered 121 years ago in 1900, but that's not when the ship sank or when the mechanism was created. You see, both the design and construction of the Antikythera mechanism by Greek scientists has been dated back 
to between 205 BC and 87 BC, or within one generation of the shipwreck, which has been dated in multiple books as to uh, have occurred in approximately sometime between 60 and 70 BC. To give you an idea of what I'm talking about, let's go ahead and turn real quick to a 2006 article in the journal Nature, where Joe Marchant writes, quote, Clockwork later appeared in the medieval Byzantine and Islamic worlds, but works with similar complexity did not appear again until the development of mechanical uh, astronomical clocks in Europe in the 14th century. So, to try to provide some context to what this means, basically, roughly 150 years before Jesus was born, the ancient Greeks invented a device that we have only ever found one of, and its, co- its complexity was not recreated for roughly 1,500 years. Think about what I am saying to you. It is a fact that the ancient Greeks created a device that was able to predict the movements of the solar system, and this device was so rare and complex that we've never found another one, and the technology behind it wasn't recreated for over 20 generations. For perspective, the great-grandparents of your great-grandparents were alive seven generations ago. So triple that, and that's how long humanity went between the time that we originally created this technology lost the ability to do so, and then rediscovered the ability to do it. So then I find myself wondering what technology existed before the Antikythera mechanism that was lost and hasn't been recovered yet. And also, what technology exists today that's going to get lost and isn't recreated until sometime around 3521? That's right, the year 3521. That's the time frame that we're talking about here. I mean, ultimately, that's the great mystery of the Antikythera mechanism. It's really an illustration of the broader mystery of lost technologies. And it's that mystery that leads me to have so many more questions, like, why have we found only one of them? Why was it on the ship in the first place? Was it a navigational tool? Was it a military advantage of some kind? Was it a gift? How did they know to make a computer 150 years before Jesus? How did they figure that out? Why did it gap in in terms of they were able to make it, and then for 1,500 years, we just don't see anything even remotely like it in the historical record before they're able to create it again? What, What else is out there that we haven't found yet? I mean, if this thing exists and you look at the time frame that we're talking about, what else is out there from before it or after it that we haven't even discovered yet that's on a shipwreck somewhere that we haven't found yet? And I could keep going, but I think you get the point. But here's the thing. We don't need to know the answers to all the questions about the Antikythera mechanism. In fact, I think it's the questions themselves that are really the most important after all. So with that being said, Let's turn back to the ancient Greeks, and I'll leave you with this quote from Socrates. Quote, true wisdom comes to each of us when we realize how little we understand about life, ourselves, and the world around us.
In my mind, that's why we have to keep learning. Anyway, guys, I, uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I did, I did want to make it a point at the end of this episode to mention that I cite all of the research that I do for these episodes. And I'm not saying this because anyone's accused me of not citing it or any of this is fake or anything crazy like that. I just did want to make the point. I don't think I've ever mentioned that before on the actual podcast. I cite all the information. So if anyone's ever curious, if you're interested in like a book that I mentioned, or you're curious about where I'm getting certain information, I have it all here. Please feel free to reach out to me. I try to do uh, my best at making sure that these episodes are well sourced. And sometimes that's why it takes me a little while to get them out. But we are, we're, uh, you know, I'm seeing a growth uh, in the community and I'm trying to put more episodes out. So I just wanted to make a mention of that. I wrote down a note here to mention that. So, um, you know, if the, if the reality of it is I, I do it out of uh, respect for myself, to be honest with you. That way I know I'm kind of giving it my all and I know that I'm providing you guys with well-sourced information. And these episodes aren't just all a bunch of thoughts that I have or something crazy. I, I, I really am trying to do the research. And I think as I get better at that, I'll be able to put out more episodes more frequently. But for right now, um, you know, I'm just enjoying it. I love it. And so I just really appreciate all you guys for for tuning in. And I know we've seen some some growth in the podcast recently. And so thanks, everybody for tuning in. Shout out to all my family and friends. Hope everybody has a, uh, a good, uh, a good weekend here. We're kind of at the end of the week. So Hope you guys have a good weekend and uh, NFL drafts tonight. I'll be a little honest with you guys. We're ending the episode. This episode isn't usually about uh, things, uh, you know, that I am necessarily uh, focused on in my personal life. But I'm hearing all these rumors about Aaron Rodgers getting traded. So I don't know. I don't believe it. I want to say that on record, actually. You know what? I got this platform. Why not? I don't know. I don't know if he gets traded. I think the media sometimes gets a little crazy with all that. But, you know, I don't know. Anyway, my point being. Gonna watch the draft tonight. See what happens. Uh, I hope you guys are having a good uh, a, a good week this week, and I hope you have a good weekend. But as soon as I can get the next episode out, I'll hit you guys with it. And anyway, just a little sidebar there. But I appreciate everybody for tuning in. I really, really do. I'm loving doing this. It's just a blast. And just wanted to say thank you for everybody tuning in. So once again, shout out all my family and friends. I love you guys. I wouldn't be here without you. And uh, we're just gonna keep rocking. But until then, guys, adopt more dogs. Keep learning. And I'll see you guys next time.